Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Natalia Gonzalez. Natalia is an investment manager at Cloud Capital, a venture fund based in Miami and focused on technology in the Americas. Natalia has previously worked at ENY and graduated from Boston College. She is very passionate about venture investing in Latin America and hopes to contribute further to that ecosystem in the future. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show, Natalia. On the contrary, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey into investing and what has been Cloud's investment thesis? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a bit of an unconventional path into venture, I would say, but I think I'll start out with the fact that I was born in Guadalajara in Mexico, so very proudly Mexican, Um, but I did move to the United States at a young age, and I grew up in Dallas, Texas, so also very proudly (laughs) Tex-Mex, and I didn't know it at the time, but honestly, that almost cultural duality has played a very important role in my current venture capacity, but anyway, we'll get to that. From an education perspective, I attended undergrad at Boston College, thanks to a very generous academic-based scholarship through General Motors, which truly changed my life. And um, there I studied finance, marketing, and Mandarin Chinese. Always very interested in the convergence of entrepreneurship and finance. But right out of college, I was super focused on kind of developing a transferable skill set, if you will. And the two traditional paths are investment banking or consulting. (laughs) And um, I went down the consulting route because through an internship with Ernst & Young, I had the absolute pleasure of working with the woman who leads LATAM for the entire firm. And she is a powerhouse. And I learned so much from her that I was like, this is going to be a fantastic place to start my career. And um, also New York City was calling my name. So I decided to, to head that way. And I did have a very positive time at EY, met great people, really developed that toolkit of transferable skills I was looking for, and had a lot of interesting leadership opportunities in terms of consulting for trillion plus dollar asset managers. But I did get a little curious. um, And what really kind of sparked again, that sort of entrepreneurial side of me was I joined the Forbes Women's Book Club in New York City. And through that, I met so many incredible women that were so excited and so driven by their by their ventures, by their startups, by their small businesses. And honestly, I just like wanted to figure out how to be a part of it. And they had all this drive. And I was like, saw that maybe there was a little bit of lack in maybe financial, operational, legal understanding, things like that. I'm like, let's grab coffee. Let me see how I can help, what I can do. And started doing that for fun, and which is when I realized I have friends all over the world sort of doing these same endeavors, whether it be in China or Europe or LATAM or the US. And I mean, long story short, I started doing that. And one of the opportunities that I was working with in LATAM had a high net worth individual client that was looking to diversify into venture capital focused in LATAM. And that is how I got the intro to clout. And um, The rest is history. Very happy to be part of Cloud Capital's investment team. And just a little bit about Cloud and our investment thesis. We are a $60 million fund based out of Miami, investing in Latin America, with the exception of Venezuela and Brazil. Um, We do also invest in Florida. We're primarily Series A investors, and we like to lead our rounds. And we will do the exceptional seed if we do see a value from a Series A perspective. 
um, we're tech centric, but industry agnostic because our central pillar is and always will be investing in people and investing in talent and LATAM. So we're open to kind of seeking that out throughout sectors. And yeah, that's where we are today. Awesome. That's an amazing journey. And what you said about meeting those wonderful women in New York and talking about the startups, I feel like a lot of people who want to do venture capital and come from a non-operator background, mostly, like you said, finance or consulting, we want to be part of the innovation. We want to be part of cool companies that are coming up. And I think venture is a great way to be part of that. So I really like um, the fact that, you know, you've been working a lot with Latin America. And why don't we dig a little more into that? Um, So for our listeners, why should investors look at Latin America for venture investing? Can you talk to us about the technology and investing landscape in the region? Oh, absolutely. I could talk about this all day, (laughs) but I will do my best to just sort of hit the hit the highlights. Um, And I think I would approach this first more quantitatively and then qualitatively. So purely from a facts and figures perspective, I mean, Latin America has a population of 600 million approximately, which is double that of the United States. And moreover, the population leans younger than most developed economies, which is important from a technology adoption perspective. Not that Latin America's technology adoption isn't already relevant. There's so many use cases to support this. I mean, For example, Mexico is Amazon's largest, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Amazon's fastest market to get to a billion dollars in sales. Sao Paulo um, is Uber's largest market in terms of rides. Mexico City is Spotify's largest user base. And Mexico and Brazil combined account for Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram's largest market. These are the realities that we're working with in Latin America. And more purely from like a venture landscape, I mean, The U.S. sort of venture ecosystem was born in the mid-1940s, while arguably in Latin America, depending on who you ask, 2008 and then real traction in 2012. And if we're measuring feedback cycles in venture capital by the decade, LATAM hasn't even had their first feedback cycle. But nevertheless, from 2017 to 2020, LATAM produced 17 unicorns, 22 if you count the five that IPO'd and went public. And that's just kind of from a billion-dollar company lens. From a grassroots perspective, I mean, accelerators like Y Combinator have 54 Spanish-speaking LATAM companies in their portfolio and 70 if you account for Brazil. So these are the numbers that I think are so encouraging from an opportunity perspective and attraction perspective in Latin America. And if we go on the qualitative side of things, I could go on about Latin American talent for a while in terms of resiliency and drive and really caring about moving the region forward. But if I'm very pragmatic about this and just look at it in terms of costs, there is talent with software developers in LATAM or engineers and a dollar towards Latin American talent versus what a dollar could do, for example, in the US just goes so much further. And that is a true investable opportunity. Not to mention that we're at this intersection right now in LATAM where momentum is meeting market, is meeting talent, is meeting tech. And people that are getting in early are investing at very attractive valuations that could only that will only be more attractive as you move forward. And something about those investments that I think is really important in Latin America is that the big, unique mass market opportunities are in are rooted in social change. 
because of the socioeconomic landscape in Latin America, whether it be fintech or edtech or health tech. And there's a unique opportunity here where to do like well while doing good. And honestly, I've been very encouraged lately by Miami's trendiness towards the next tech hub in the United States because of its proximity to Latin America. And Miami has long been viewed as a gateway to Latin America by Latin Americans. So if we can just get a little closer, if it even means first physically, then mentally, and then financially, that is the narrative I'm here for. So that's kind of a nutshell as to why LATAM. That's um, super insightful. And I, I remember when I was working at City um, back in 2018, um, fintech in Latin America was really blowing up. So I worked on the Stone IPO. And right before that, I think Paxigur earlier in the year, they had IPO'd as well. So you could see there was a trend towards not, like you said, not only adoption, but a lot of companies are managing to really ramp up growth and revenues. Um, so that's that's amazing to hear. So f- still um, sticking to Latin America, what is it like to source and evaluate companies um, in LATAM versus the US? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are a lot of similarities or horizontals. I mean, the value of network or partnering with accelerators or incubators or entrepreneur referrals, investor referrals, all of that holds true and is super relevant. But if I'm going to kind of double click on what's unique in Latin America, both sourcing and and evaluating, is I think too often investors and honestly, entrepreneurs within Latin American borders alike, make the mistake, in my opinion, of viewing LATAM as a homogenous region. Because everyone speaks Spanish, you know, everyone must be the same. And that could not be more untrue. Um, every country in Latin America has their own culture, has their own way of communicating within the Spanish language, has their own approach to social normatives. And really understanding that is, in my in my perspective, the winning strategy. I mean, when I'm purely just sourcing deals, it's important to understand the resources available to you in each country and how that business is conducted. And moreover, from a sourcing perspective, I really don't like to see deals that are just kind of copy and paste of other places in the world where I'm like, you're not accounting for or adjusting for the nuances of LATAM market. And that, that is like where the, where the money is, if you, if you will. Um, And also from an evaluatory perspective, I mean, just within borders, let's take any country, for example, like if I'm talking to someone in Colombia and they're like, Nati, we're going to expand to Mexico. And I'm like, that's great. I agree. What's your go-to-market strategy? And they're like, oh, we're just kind of going to do what we did in Colombia and and then we're going to do it in Mexico. And I'm like, no. (laughs) In terms of like the way that the regulatory landscape is in Mexico, the logistical obstacles, the cultural normatives, the social normatives, like if you don't account for that, the money that you're going to allocate towards expanding towards Mexico is not going to go as far as you think it's going to go. So that is definitely something that I think is important in LATAM. Yeah, and I haven't had that much experience in the African continent, but the little bit I had and the conversations I had with partners um, that do cover, um, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa is very similar. Is each country is so different when it comes to not only culturally, but the most basic form of infrastructure and politics, um, which really have an impact on how much you can grow your company. So, so I understand this whole concept of you have to look at each country or even within the country, each region uniquely because you know they have unique attributes um and i actually asked a question to a partner at axel in india the very same question about is there any difference in the way you look at companies um and i do remember that he said that you know there are certain cultures 
or certain um, consumer habits that are unique to certain places in India, maybe. And that's a market, but you have to kind of build your value prop around the customers that um, are in each region. So so that's really interesting to hear. Um, so where do you see LATAM entrepreneurial and venture ecosystem in the next 10 years? Yeah, um, I kind of see LATAM in the next 10 years as this rocket that is just kind of ready to launch onto the world stage. And and that just gets me really excited for the region because, as I mentioned, some of the biggest venture investable opportunities and mass market opportunities are going to be catalysts for social economic, economic excuse me, and otherwise um, systemic change, which really fuels my fire as a VC. I'm not going to lie. Like, that gives me just so much more of a deeper appreciation of like the power of technology to really propel the emergence of a region as a whole that has so much to offer and, and how I think we're actually going to get there, in my opinion, is education and time. And I would say that that education is almost three-pronged in the sense that like there is an education to be had by the side of the Latin American entrepreneur. I think that there is an awareness that there still is a lot of work to be done in order to really understand how to raise money in the United States or internationally. There are best practices that need to be adopted. There are pitches that need to be polished. There needs to be an understanding of the needs of the audience across the table or across the Zoom screen at this point and like what they're thinking in terms of their own like investment psychology. And I do see a willingness by Latin American entrepreneurs to be educated, to learn, to put in the time and the work. From a Latin American like investor perspective, I also think that there is education and work to be done to partner with U.S. and international investors to help fill in that education gap, right? What are the local and country level risks, obstacles, opportunity challenges, and and that knowledge that isn't um, shared cross borders kind of help um, refine that. And honestly, in terms of like the U.S. investor or another investor, um, I do think there is work to be done in terms of education around the risk and return ratio of Latin America. There is a real difference between perceived risk and real risk, in my opinion. And I mean, I definitely think and and totally valid. If you don't understand something, if you're not familiar with something, then your perceived risk is elevated. And, And things like the media don't help that kind of that kind of narrative. And not saying I want to be very clear that there is not risk in Latin America and that there is not unique Latin American risk because there absolutely is. And it's very important to take that into account. But the other side of the story, the opportunity is almost being discounted by this perceived risk. And I think through time and education and Latin American founders working every single day to proof of concept, almost the Latin American market, investors will start to have a more fair ratio in my mind towards Latin America. And um, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning that as someone who considers themselves to almost have like a Mexican heart and an American mind, like, I feel like this is the kind of like bridge and education we need between the two venture ecosystems. And if I can contribute to the appreciation and the advocacy of the Latin American founder, but I can respect and understand like the need for rigorous analysis and risk assessment on, on the U S investor side, like I am here to build that bridge and help that narrative in any way I can in the next 10 years and beyond. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, if you look at the valuations at which companies have been going public over the last couple of years, or even just the state of, you know, you were saying risk and return in the public markets today, 
you can tell that investors are fairly optimistic about the risk return profile at the moment. So I do think there is a lot of potential to leverage um, leverage that interest. So I want to change gears a little bit here. Um, as you know, we started this podcast because of a diversity issue in the industry, the VC industry. So I was curious to know how's diversity and representation in tech and VC in LATAM? And do you see um, any changes happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a super important conversation. And there are so many lenses, I think, to which this can be viewed in Latin America. I mean, there is the like lens of socioeconomic opportunity in terms of diversity. There's the lens of racial ethnicity in terms of the Afro and indigenous population in Latin America. But I suppose for the sake of this podcast, I'd love to unpack kind of gender diversity a, a little bit more in LATAM. And it's funny because at first glance, you you look into it and you're like, wow, Latin America is leading the, the world in terms of investment dollars towards female founders. But if you just double click into that for a little bit, you realize that in 2020, not a single venture dollar went to a female only led business. And that is an alarming statistic. Um, and if you kind of take a step back from that and think about it in the context of 2020, you're like, okay. So although Latin America continued to invest from seed to series F to IPOs during COVID, um, the investment dollar reach was more like close network focus as opposed to, you know, like more, more of a wider net. And what does that represent in LATAM? 90% of venture investors in LATAM are men. And I really kind of think that's also a generous stat because of the 10% that are women, not all women hold investment power hold that boat, right? And so if you're more network focused during a year like 2020, and most of your investors are men, then most of your founders are going to be men. And that is a massive problem in my eyes. And I want to like highlight that we do have a very, very interesting um, kind of female investor and founder network in um, LATAM, honestly led by powerhouses and trailblazers like Susana Garcia Robles um, of Capria and IDP Lab, Marta Cruz of NXTV Ventures, Antonia Rojas Ing of AllVP that have made so many efforts to moving this needle forward. But the fact that like we have a WhatsApp group and I can still like count everyone, you know, like we need to not be counted. Like we need to have more like female investors out there because that's how we're going to support the the female founder. And I and and something that I don't I think that this is the most powerful example I've seen in LATAM recently is that Magma Partners put out an initiative called Brava, which is led by Claire Diaz Ortiz. And um, basically what Brava committed to publicly is investing in 20 female founders across Latin America in the next three years. That to me is not recognizing the value of a female founder. That's not even being intentional about it. That is making a commitment. And I think that is the kind of like discipline and lessons that's not only going to like propel LATAM forward, but also like the world. So that's what I think. It's interesting. I've had this this conversation with, you know, people who are focused on um, Asia, who are focused on the U.S. and Latin America. And it the stats are as shocking and as disappointing everywhere. So it definitely is a global issue. Um, but I also agree that, you know, you need more commitments to actually change versus a lot of companies just coming up, you know, about concerns about diversity, but not really doing anything about it. It, it needs to be way more than just a PR play. So I totally get that. Um, 
Awesome. So uh, I want to do a quick, fun, rapid fire round with you. Um, So just three questions. Are you ready? Ooh, ready. Let's do it. Pretty easy, I promise. Um, So are you a cat or a dog person? Dog, no question. Okay, great. We can be friends then. (laughs) What's a movie you've watched recently um, that has really impacted you? in a way or the other. Or it could be because we are in the generation of TV shows. um, It could be a TV show as well. Yeah. um, Honestly, a movie, the movie I watched most recently that has kind of had a carried impact on my life and is one of my favorite movies, The Pursuit of Happiness. I rewatch this movie every once in a while, not only because I'm a massive Will Smith fan, but I just think that every time I watch that movie, I get a new meeting out of that like holistically kind of powerful message. Yeah, I've cried too much at that movie. And a final question is who in your life have been two of your strong female role models? The first one is the easiest question for me to respond to in my life. And that is my mom. Um, Hands down my mom, because honestly, again, going back to this whole um, almost cultural duality, my mother made sure that I retained my Mexican culture and heritage and language and roots. She did not lighten up on that at all. But she also really simultaneously instilled a really important appreciation and respect for the American education and opportunities that I was getting. And I know I wouldn't be who I am today without who she is. She is uncompromising in her values. So my mom, definitely number one. And as far as number two goes, that's hard. I really admire when women kind of take their platforms and it's and it starts out with, with one thing and it transforms in the other to kind of propel a message forward. There, there's so many examples of this, Melinda Gates, Beyonce. But lately I've been having a Tyra Banks moment. Um, and I just think she is such a chameleon in terms of everything she's done in her career from you know, being a businesswoman, a professor, a top model, an advocate for women's rights and body positivity. And I'm a huge advocate of of body positivity as well. So definitely having a Tyra Banks moment. That's a really interesting one. And big thumbs up to all the moms who are basically the reason why we're on this podcast today. Um, just just for the drive and, and the commitment to do better. Amazing. Thank you so much, Natalia, for being on the show. Um, this was a really fun conversation. And I'm sure that our listeners will really enjoy it. No, thank you so much for having me and for creating a powerful platform for the female voice in venture capital globally. It's been a pleasure and an honor.